welcome to the Tales of the Cold North. Our recap of our adventures in our Dungeons and Dragons campaign featuring members of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Alright, and I am your host, the one, the only, the Conesy with the most, your Dungeon Master for this session, and I am joined by a couple of the illustrious players from this campaign. Hey everybody, it's Justin. I play Koth, the half-orc paladin. And I am Matt. I play Yanros, the half-elf monk. And just as a quick reminder, also some of the other players of note, we have Deacon, the half-elf sorcerer, Swifty is our human wizard, Rika is a halfling druid, and Lindel is also a halfling rogue. This is episode four of Tales of the Cold North, which is a D&D podcast. Today is Saturday, December 11th, 2021. And on today's episode, we're going to talk through primarily our sessions six and seven, though we had a nice little uh, break there. Our GM had a 10-day in our section where we could spend a little bit of time talking about what we would like to do in the interim. Justin, why don't you open us up here? Talk a little bit about what your characters did. Yeah, so we we basically got a a 10-day off to handle some stuff that our characters wanted to do, some role-playing or or handling uh, some of our characters leveled up to level 3 and got some new abilities or picked some important features for our classes. So Koth, now the speaker of Good Mead, returned to Good Mead and handled the situation with the mercenary who had been doing hard labor as a sentence for his crime and attacking Good Mead at the direction of the speaker from Targos. Koth essentially offered this man citizenship. I think his name was Fred. You'll have to correct me, Ben, if that's wrong. Offered him citizenship in Goodmead if he was willing to pledge his loyalty to the town and to Koth. Koth decided to to trust him and and he had done a, a good job logging and and proving that, you know, he wasn't just a sort of a scoundrel. So Koth let him become a citizen of Goodmead. Also, Koth met up with Ianros's uncle, who was sent to Goodmead actually at the request of Ianros to see if he could find some work there. And Koth cured his alcoholism with just a uh, simple cure disease spell. Maybe. We'll see. That's what Koth thought he should do. And basically got him a logging job. So uh, Yanros's uncle is now living and working in Goodmead under the watchfly of Sasha, the logger, and, and the other loggers, just to make sure he doesn't dip back into the drink. Lindel, during this time, Lindel our rogue, spent some time looking into some metal that we got from the giants a couple sessions back in an area near near Goodmead here and found out that it was worth some money but the metal ultimately wasn't identified but a little bit of uh, extra cash in our pocket if we needed it. He also overheard overheard heard some interesting rumors about a talking moose bothering the town of Lonelywood during his time off. What did Yenros get up to? During this 10 day so our listeners have an idea we also hit level three which is pretty pretty pivotal time for a lot of characters. So in character, I took this opportunity to to work with the GM a little bit and really focus on, you know, going through that level three transformation. So my character decided with the heavy caster focus of our group, he really wanted to go down the way of the open hand, which is a bit more combat centric for the monks and spent some time with his master. He also had a little bit of soul searching and he was really struggling 
the information his uncle shared with him and how he treated his uncle, he had this revelation of the big bad guy that we had attacked. And there's this interesting link in his head between the very quick story his uncle had told him and how his parents had died. He had a change of heart, hunted his uncle down, and really spent some time, got him some warm clothes, got him a good meal, washed him up, and then really kind of dug the extra information out of him and realized that his parents may have died as the first wave of this sort of invasion before the eternal night started. He took this opportunity to really kind of forgive his uncle, realized that, you know, if he's there to protect people, he should be protecting even people like his uncle. And he sent him on to Goodmead, and blessedly Koth uh, took care of him there. Kind of one of those things that it's nice to be able to spend some time in these down sessions advancing personal character arcs, because it's not always something maybe interesting to the party, but was really fun to chase after. So Swifty, though, and my understanding from talking to him, he spent some time study, studying, gathering some funds, really wanted to pick up an Identify spell which is always helpful. It's always nice to be able to find magic items and figure out what the heck they do. So that really brings us up to the start of session six. Party has regathered in Brinshander, and we're meeting with Helm. We were scheduled to meet with Helm. So Justin, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Finished our 10-day and met back up with Helm, and she had been... Uh, one of the things Helm did was suggest that the party came up with a name for ourselves. You know that every every great adventuring company should should have a name so that they're known throughout the land. We haven't really come up with any good or at least agreed upon candidates for this, but it's something that's come up a little bit each session. We'll, we'll have to maybe gel a little bit more as a party to to come up with a a good adventuring group name. Hill also mentioned that there were some intelligent animals that were harassing the loggers in Lonelywood, perhaps even an albino moose. So this kind of matched up with some of the stuff that Lindell had been hearing rumors about as a, as a potential thing for the party to go investigate. She also mentioned that their, the gem mines in Tourmaline had been closed due to kind of cobalt infestation. Um, I don't think she mentioned that, actually. Somebody in town yeah. mentioned it. I had notes on it. You didn't pick that up until you were in Lonelywood, oh, I believe. Really? <laughs> Yep. Wow. Well, yeah, she she provided the Lonely Wood quest mm -hmm. and then she provided the Caracone. Uh, yeah, we might have not heard that till we were in Lonely Wood. Yep. The, yep. yep, yep with it's the further unseen. down in my notes and I just sort of mm -hmm. put it up with that other stuff. But yeah, he'll 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 let us know about this issue going on in Lonely Wood with animals harassing the loggers at least. And then we also heard from that Caracone, the leader the dragonborn leader needed some help as well, though I believe that was very vague. It wasn't very specific as to what kind of help ah, they needed. They said that were vandals and thieves there that were... were robbing local establishments, maybe even mm. Durger, who were responsible. That that kind of gave us our, our potential paths that we that we could follow. It, it was kind of nice, though. I thought it was uh, the party kind of pulled out the map, took a look at where everything was. And we kind of came came up, I felt like as a group, we came up with a good attack plan because we knew there was some discussion that Koth wanted to swing by Targos yeah. and, you know, Ionros, it kind of came out, he shared a little bit about his parents at this time and it came out that 
he is originally from Karakonig. So, you know, that gives us an op- sort of a link in. He, he knows the area at least a little yeah. bit from when he was young. It also, I thought it was nice because we kind of looked at it and said, okay, we can swing off to the, to the west, go by Targos, go up to Lonelywood, and then we can cut across and see. We can cut across to Karakonig yeah. if we need to. Maybe swing by the mountain with the dwarves since we had... Uh, We'd had some good run-ins with them, so we thought it might be a good opportunity to at least stop there on our way. So, at least we had some agreement. I think the road to Lonelywood from Brinchander cut through Targos. We pretty much, unless we wanted to go on in the wilds on Open Tundra, we were pretty much passing through Targos regardless. Yep. It was a good opportunity. So, we made a a decision. Talking animals (laughs) get to go first. So, So then, Targos. Well... Yeah. So <laughs> then there was Targos. Uh, so the reason, as as I mentioned before, the beaker of Targos or Torgos had had sent these mercenaries to go rough up the people of Goodmead and try to install his preferred speaker as as the speaker of Goodmead, who is who Goth ended up defeating. And so Goth uh, Goth wanted to at least kind of go have a a meeting with the speaker of Targos, if possible, a diplomatic meeting, but. Under the idea that he really just wanted to say, hey, good meads under my protection. Don't mess with us. You know, I'm in charge there now. We traveled to Targos and found the Targos town hall and started speaking with the uh, tiefling assistant of the speaker of Targos, who I'm blanking on the name of right now, Nerth, I believe. And well, (laughs) Yenros and Lindel got a little aggressive. And things kind of went sideways there. The The tiefling was pretty, the, the assistant was really just putting us off and saying like, hey, you know, you, you can meet with the speaker in a month or something like that. And none of us were really being that patient about the whole thing. But I think at some point, Lindell took his bow off his shoulder or pulled out a blade or something. And Yanros ended up she she was she was going through a date book at her desk and Yanros reaches over and just snatches it out of her hands, which pretty much cranked up the the situation to problematic at that point. She ended up not my <laughs> finest point. No, not she not at uh, all. she ended up calling some guards and and I did did they take a shot at you, perhaps, actually? Some of these archers? I well, it yeah. took a wild shot. Um, yeah. That was one of the few times I was able to catch Oh right the area. <laughs> Anyways, we found it felt like it was a really good time to leave Targos <laughs> yeah. and made our way to Lonelywood. There really wasn't much going on on the roads, which was good. Not a lot of problems getting there. One of the things we learned about the town of Lonelywood is that it is largely made up of criminals. Uh, most of the people that are in, in uh, Lonelywood have some sort of uh, an interesting background of various color and so... You know, you definitely want to watch your purse or uh, coin purse while you're in that town. Had no trouble really finding Nimsy. Got some information from Nimsy. Nimsy did share the the gem mines of Tourmaline. We're also mm-hmm. having some problems uh, with some cobalt infestation. And at least provided us some information about this moose. Now, for anybody who doesn't remember and is just picking up here, we had had a run-in near Goodmead with a talking fox that we had found out was made to speak through Revison, which was Rika, who is a member of the party's mentor. My brain, of course, is saying, oh, it's a talking moose. It's probably Revison again. So my my head's equating the ease with which we were able to deal with the 
fox with the moose. And as and those of you who look forward in time can see where this is going to go, it will probably end in much crying and pain. So we decided to travel and find the moose. We did sleep overnight. In the morning, the interesting thing was our, our druid had prepared. She she really came out and was ready and did her detect animal and for the moose. And we got this really bizarre reaction of two separate pings, which is not how that supposed spell is supposed to work, which was really confusing. But we did figure out a direction to to go and started traveling in that direction. So we're making our way across country, going through this this deeper part of the forest and came across dark and dank area and stumbled across an undead. Uh, did appear to be an elven undead from kind what we could a tell. Spectral form. Yeah. Uh, spectral woman in the forest. Yeah. Yeah. Which being a typical party, we stayed in party order <laughs> and, uh, let the thing close with us and now now this is i out of character i make the assumption it was some sort of banshee but i don't i'm, I'm personally not real good with the current generation of of undead and their abilities so i it could have been a totally different yeah. undead but basically closed close enough to us and we were all gathered around screamed and pretty much dropped two-thirds of the party in one round some very bad rolls on the party's part. I don't think. Yeah, there was there was a save. I think two thirds yeah. of us failed our save and just yep. dropped. Luckily, so. you know, with Koth half orc ability, they let you kind of bounce back from getting dropped to zero hit points. And you come back with one. Luckily, you know, I was able to stay up. I think I healed one of you guys pretty quickly and started to kind of pull back so that we could get healing going and recover. And the what I assume to be a banshee as well at this point. Uh, kind of pulled back a little bit and our you know our long range guys were were taking shots with spells and arrows and things so we did end up defeating it but we uh we got pretty shaken good part of the party just taken out in an instant well and you know we hit the end of that combat pretty much burned every one of our healing spells and did, did a little bit of peeking around you know found the you know the skeleton what we suspect was the skeleton of the dead thing and tried to deal with that and found like a bow and some other things. And mm -hmm. in my infinite wisdom, the, the, the Druid healer ad, it admittedly was like, Hey, you know, we kind of burned all our spells. It would be a really good idea if we took a break. And my character in his infinite wisdom had equated the, the moose with the Fox and said, we should keep going. And the party largely, I think agreed with me, which unfortunately I feel like we rolled right over Rika's protests to basically mm -hmm. say, Hey, we should learn to rest. Yeah, we we, so. we have not learned this lesson at this point that we should really be considering short rests after, I mean, at least that intensive a combat that really, you know, dropped a lot of people and used up that many resources yeah absolutely we'll say like i want random encounters and that and that was a i don't run random encounters with just a random dice roll i don't do that i look at like what they had on the table and i'm like i want random encounters to be meaningful like i don't want to just throw an encounter at you that like oh hey there's some random orcs that were just wandering through the foot wood that makes no difference to a story or the location, or anything else like that. So when I looked at the random encounter table, I picked that particular encounter for you guys to go through, and knowing it would be a challenging encounter, but one I thought you'd be able to overcome, and that you 
would, there would be zero in-game penalty right. to take a short rest or to take even a long rest, really, to you, other than the potential chance for another encounter if you took a long rest. But really, I set that up just so you guys could have a, here's another relatively big combat of a combat that's a clear a clear enemy and one that should be really challenging. And it was a really challenging encounter, but yeah, the, the pausing to rest pit bit, you guys missed. And maybe... Maybe in hindsight, and I didn't think of it at the time, but maybe in hindsight, I yeah. should have had, I should have also yeah. just kind of hinted. Admittedly, Rika advised that, and we all were like, oh, it's okay, we've got the druid, she'll deal with the animals when we get there. It, yeah, that's it, it a lesson wisdom then. If she made, I, I don't remember personally her making that suggestion. Uh, yeah, yeah, she did. Uh, should have listened. Then. She did. Yeah. She And unfortunately, we just I, talked I over her. <laughs> yeah. Fair. So, but I will say, Ben, to to your credit on that combat, and the, and I always like a good challenge. Is that thematically fits in very well yeah. with the next thing that occurred? Yeah. So I was very convinced, even though you you now tell me that it was a random encounter, it thematically fit in perfectly with what followed. Yeah, it did. So, Justin, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened next and what we ran into? Sure. Yes. You know, in our it, not taking a stop to even catch our breath. We continued on tracking the moose or where the location of the moose was uh, that we could tell from the druid spell. And we end up coming to an interesting area, a clearing where there is this large curved wall area, a raised hill with a sarcophagus at the top and these pillars around it. There's elven, weathered elven statues. So some kind of temple area. There is a, a gigantic moon dial in this area. So essentially think of a the shape of a, of a big sundial, but around in the circle around it, there are carvings in the stone of phases of the moon there is braziers of for lighting fires around basically just this seems like this old elven temple kind of area we spent a little time just quicking quickly checking over the area and found that built into sort of kind of hillside there's this curved wall and like part of this wall had been broken in and there's this hole in the wall and we popped in there and basically ran right into this giant albino moose along with two dire wolves the moose basically demands immediately that we leave otherwise we, or that we would anger her and it's just speaking angrily and spookily and we it didn't attack us immediately but when it was obvious that we weren't leaving we we did get into combat it did warn us yeah. it, it did fairly warn us yeah <laughs> It made it very clear that if we didn't leave the area, it was going to attack. But at the same time, yeah. this was, as far as we knew, our, our quarry, the moose that we'd kind of been sent to deal with by Mimsy, the speaker of Lonelywood. So I will say at this point, the things going through my head, because the moose did very specifically say her. Mm would anger her and my brain went two directions because we had very quickly checked out the area and it was obvious these were elven statues and i think one of them had a bow or something yeah. there was something that drew my head to a bow and maybe i was making it up but the my head was going one of two directions either the albino moose was tied to this 
ghostly spirit that we had just run into. Or I went immediately the other direction and said, oh, Revison, it's dealing with Revison, and it's another creature that has been given intelligence by Revison. It was interesting, though, because this one was just so much more aggressive. Yeah, but... for sure. Yeah, they they came they came at us. I think there was a lot of discussion in the group about these being or about these creatures potentially being yeah. controlled by Ravison or or right. some power as well, and and I think that led to some confusion in direction here as far as what to do. Are they actually baddies that you should slay, or is yeah. this something that you ethically should try to help? It wasn't really clear, I think, for a lot of people that were... Yeah, I, I will say... for a couple of people that were at the table. My character at least knows Rika fairly well, and Rika did... I felt like Rika made very clearly that she didn't feel like it was necessarily the creature's faults, and that we just shouldn't just slaughtered them out of hand and my character was like you know there's some wisdom in that i don't think we should just kill them for the sake of killing them my character was pretty convinced we should just back off and leave but unfortunately we waited too long and got dumped into combat funny it's not like the talking moose didn't warn us but yeah i well and and, and it was another Warned scenario like you patience, said i think yep. this was one of those scenarios that we ran into in these two sessions where the party was very clearly split because there were at least i'd say 50 percent of the party was basically down the line of i'm not sure we should kill these things and the other ones were like i don't give a crap they attacked us and and both sides i think had merit so at this point i think it was interesting my, my position was you know the party was injured and not at full strength and we should consider a you know strategic retreat i think i was leaning on the side of of retreating and not fighting uh, whereas the other guys, I think, were really amped up to to just take care of take care of them. Always take out the wolves, and fight them. Well, I don't know if this is something that was you guys hadn't really taken a defeat up to this point, right? <laughs> you maybe could say what happened in Targos was a defeat, but it wasn't really yeah. really more orientated around cough and cough background stuff, and not really necessarily anything that was being totally driven right. by hey we need to do this because there's money at hand or uh or anything like that so i think you know you walked away from targos was like oh yeah this is probably a bad idea and i think i talked up targos yeah. as it be as being a bit of a more powerhouse to try to take on versus lonely little <laughs> good mead uh you know just from population and size but uh this particular instance, yeah, you guys were beat up. And I think the, the big thing here were that some of the melee fighters were still beat up a bit. Yes. And yes. that you had right. zero. That, that was really my character's concern. I was uh, going I, into I mean, this I one. agreed with Rika, but I don't think I had more than eight or nine hit points. Yep. And I, I mean, I, like you said, we had zero healing. So I looked at that and said, I could go down in one round. And they might take cough the next, and then <laughs> they're going to be in our casters, you know, knee deep in our casters, and could just absolutely slaughter the party. But you have a lot of capability as a group to output a significant amount of damage, correct? Particularly at short range in a very short amount of time. But you're also a bit of a glass hammer right now, yeah, um, <laughs> because you don't have anyone in a traditional healer role, and so you have a druid. Who has a pretty significant pool of healing, but tax, you know, when you're trying to heal six characters, it goes in a hurry. Yeah. 
Yeah. Plus, you know, we have a paladin, but that's a very limited pool of healing as well. Just a little lay on hands. Yeah, get the lay on hands. Which is, I don't even, do you even have a cure wounds? Yep, I have that too. I, I, I knew we were, we were needing the healing, so that's part of what I have for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think I had sent them at that point, though, you know, and we hadn't taken a short rest, so I I'd no. spent them all. So that was, you know. Well, and the downside, of course, is that when you take something like a druid, they have a lot of flexibility in their spell list. But if they use all their slots on healing, their that flexibility is greatly reduced. Mm. So that's kind of the downside as well. But I mean, we did get into combat. They took a few swings pretty quickly. But the part, I I feel like at this point the party had some great reflexes. The druid Rika was you know took advantage of the opportunity to drop a brambles that just kind of gave us the opportunity to back off and retreat. It was a little bit of a controversial move amongst the party, but it was very in character. I felt like from that perspective, and she she really wanted to give us the chance to heal and recover and come back at this more at full strength. At this point, this was kind of the end of session six. The party was was pretty much right on the other side of this. The brambles had been dropped. We were cut off. The wolves had taken some decent damage. The, the moose, I, I mean, the moose took a couple of hits. I had no idea how damaged it really was, but we kind of hit this stopping point, and this is where we ended session six. We're on the other side of the brambles. The beasts had retreated to a point where they really weren't visible to us, so our ranged people couldn't just mm -hmm. sit there and pick at them and take them out. So we're kind of at this stalemate at this point. We, this is where we flip to session seven. The party really decided we need to go somewhere. Uh, still a little bit of debate there, but you know we decided to beat a hasty retreat. The, the biggest debate I feel like we had was north, south, east, or west. <laughs> we are definitely not we can't make easy decisions yet yeah i was like i was really surprised at the start of the session the amount of friction over which random direction in a forest you've never been in <laughs> other than go back the way we came like why was it that big of a deal to pick north south west east i don't know. but yeah, but don't you know. got to a decision we did, and leveraging some survival skills, the druid found a nice tree to hide under. We were able to get in a short rest. The party recovered, at, at least the melee, who had taken a lot of damage, had recovered quite a bit of hit points there. You know, we hadn't really recovered spells, but we had at least to the point where I felt like if we had to deal with the moose and the, the wolves, our front line was back where it needed to be. Yeah, at least we could agree on this, that we knew we needed to take a short rest and recover something at this point. So we, may, we might have learned the lesson at this point to, to take short rest. Yeah. I think maybe the wizard got a spell back. They get something back with short rest, but we recovered some hit points and decided to return to the cave and confront the moose and the wolves again we tried to approach stealthily i for some reason i recall that rika had to suppress her instinct to skip back to the cave for for some reason i think she rolled a pretty poor stealth oh, that roll, was, yeah. so that was kind of the role play <laughs> yeah, way of explaining yeah. it we uh as we got closer back to the the temple area mcguffin swifties owl familiar surveyed the cave and turned out it'd be empty moose and wolves nowhere to be seen we ended up just getting 
into that that cave area investigating there inside there three other elven statues inside the cave and also three passageways leading further back two of which ended in these stone doors which nobody seemed to be able to move in any way and then one of these passages ended in this seven foot oval mirror couldn't really figure out how to do anything with it but i do recall that lindell definitely made some attempts to jump kick these stone doors ultimately to no effect sooner or later little 50 pound lindell will actually kick his way through a door and it will you will and he will be so happy when it happens yeah. but it was you know i i think at this point because the wolf and the the moose were not here I, i'm trying to remember did we do it before we searched everything in detail or after but at some point in here we we decided we had a good defensible position and it was a good opportunity to take a long rest because we really were tapped on healing and we didn't feel like there was any way for the things to get behind us. We took an opportunity to get a long rest. We set took we had a couple people with traps, set up traps in the doorway so that we could get there, but really give the party some chance to really at least our casters get back some spells. Actually, I take that back. I believe it was after we really searched in detail because there were certain spells we wanted to get back. Oh, yeah, you're right. You needed the moonbeam spell, I think, was at that point because you had done some digging around already. Yeah. But we did actually take the time to really check out the ruins in detail because the first time we'd come, we really hadn't... I mean, it was very quick. I mean, I want to say less than five minutes. We just basically walked to each area and was like, yep, this stuff's here. And then we got distracted by the big, huge, it looked like knocked in area into this one sort of tomb area. But now we actually got to search it out and found this puzzle. And the puzzle basically involved this brazier. And there was this sarcophagus surrounded by, I believe it was, pillars. And the pillars had symbols on them. And we realized that we could find everything we needed pretty much in the immediate area. Party, a little bit of debate, but we did end up finding all the pieces and parts and said, hey, why not? We're here. Let's figure out what's in the sarcophagus. So yeah, but we were able to solve that. And then there was an interesting elf in there. (laughs) An undead elf. Yes, he did seem to be undead. We we kind of pushed just the corner of the sarcophagus off and... He kind of, I think he said hello at the beginning. <laughs> we opened the sarcophagus and he said, hello. Like, or who is it? I can't remember what he said. But uh, we had a, a nice conversation with this undead elf named Sonar, who apparently had been in, entombed for quite a long time, hundreds of years maybe. And we, we learned that the whole area is a tomb to the elves of the Seldarine, which I guess is reference to the Elvian Pantheon. And more importantly, we got some information of how to get through these doors in the temple. The Sonar, this this undead elf, let us know that the the Gnomon, the moon dial, needed to be lit with moonlight. And Rika at this point, or maybe a little bit after, cleverly realized that she could probably use the moonbeam spell to to accomplish this, to actually cast the moonlight onto we had to cast the right the moonlight onto the right uh, phase of the moon to get the doors inside the temple to open i actually i am der that because i thought that when i was going through the module and that little bit of like you guys clamped on that you needed moonlight and it was gonna be and the moon in a certain position yeah Yeah, it was gonna be days i think (laughs) before it would actually trigger 
And I'm like, well, we could have this drag out for days, which would not be super fun. Or if you were super familiar with the with your character's spellcasting list, maybe you'd realize that that spell would be effective. But how much trial and error would you be going through to try to trip that trigger, right? And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a helpful DM, and I sent her an IM saying, hey, by the way, you have a spell that basically is moonlight that you might want to look at in in the moonbeam spell. And so, you know, that was where that kind of came mm-hmm. in. Like I said, I think that was a yeah. that was me trying to help keep things moving versus, hey, we're going to hit the stall. Okay. It would would have been way too coincidental to just, oh, yeah, by the way, tomorrow night <laughs> the moon is in the right yeah, position. I think yeah. we would have been fine with that, but I'm surprised you didn't make her do some type of insight check to realize she could do that or something. <laughs> I had thought about that, but I ultimately I was just like, this is a piece of information. I think I thought her character would know yeah. based on downstream things that are about to yeah. be discovered. Yeah. So that's that's the point where we up taking our long rest right we went back into the tomb set some watches set some traps like matt said and rika gets her moonbeam spell so that we can attempt to open the doors so that's that's essentially the the thing first thing we did the next morning was get ready to to open the doors the spell we were a little worried that there might be some kind of timing issue because of the spell's duration that if suddenly there wasn't moonlight shining that we could get trapped in the rooms once the spell ended and we ended up kind of splitting up with uh, at least one person going to each of the doors and i think lindell was also in the room with the mirror just so that we could see what happened and make sure we could react to to everything so we could cast our spell on the right phase of the moon and yanros is kind of you know shouting to everybody else in the tomb that, you know, all right, try now. And each of the doors swung open and into the uh, these large circular rooms with like 20-foot high dome ceilings, which, you know, at that point, Ben brought out some more great dungeon models, these big circular stone rooms with the sarcophagus in the center with like a idea was there's this beam of light coming from the dome ceiling down on top of the sarcophagus in the center of the circular chamber. And one of the rooms was empty, but in the room that Koth and Swifty went into, there was somebody there. And it turns out that it was, in fact, Revisen, the druid and mentor of our very own Rico. I will say this, Ben, that mirror is still (laughs) bothering me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we didn't figure that out at all. I, I haven't decided if I haven't decided if the mirror is just one of those red herrings <laughs> or if we totally missed something on the on the mirror. But that mirror is gonna bother me till we either go back and deal with it or you know, I, I keep like the, the mirror has to be something. Uh, oh, if we get to the end of the campaign, you guys can just keep a list of those things that bothered you and I will <laughs> give you the big reveals at the end. Fair enough. But yes, we did have this, and, and I mean, at least at this point, it's really just the Koth and Swifty show talking to Revisa. She had this, oh, yeah. I love the, the, the visual, but of the druid in this room, and she has this, I don't want to call it familiar, that would be more of a, it would be more of a wizard thing. But she has this like little mobile yeah. plant that it's just, I'm 
sure it's some sort of elemental or something that just follows around with her. But uh, I, I just love the visual. It was awesome from my perspective. But why don't you talk a little bit about what Koth and Swifty did while the rest of the party was trying to catch up with you. Yeah, so when we get into this room, she actually visited hides kind of behind the sarcophagus and asks who we are and given that she didn't immediately like attack us and rika had spoken of her but never as really being evil or a villain of some kind it seemed like a good opportunity to to speak with her and, and see what was going on we found out that she did in fact grant the moose intelligence through powers granted to her by the frost maiden and that she had sent it to go harass and attack the loggers uh, of Lonelywood. We, we we talked for quite a while, and really what it came down to for, for Koth is that ultimately her plan, she is essentially doing the, the will of the Frostmaiden, and she is supporting this darkening of the sun, and her whole goal from Koth's perspective boiled down to Basically, the whole of the Ten Towns has to leave or die. And for Koth, that basically, she is a threat to, like, all of the Ten Towns at this point. But she still hasn't attacked us. She certainly sounds like an evil person from, you know, my perspective at this point. But we're essentially standing in the doorway of this circular chamber, haven't really gone in very far, and just speaking with her. She's talking about you know, uh, all the horrible people that live in the towns and how they're murderers and liars. And uh, we eventually learned from her that the people of Lonelywood actually attempted to burn her sister at the stake as a witch and that her sister Vernus later actually died as uh, from an arrow wound as they were, her visit went, went to rescue her. And as they were escaping, her sister got shot down. And, and, and yeah. admittedly, from what we know about the town of Lonelywood, they are kind of thieves and murderers, to be frank. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's an interesting piece here, right? Because I gave you that because and you, there's a couple of things here. I give you this flyer for each town you visit because you have people who were born and raised in the 10 towns and with no general background information. But then when you go to the speaker's house, it's like this little halfling mom and her kids are running around and, you know, it's like this warm little cheery thing. And she offers her, you know, her house for you to stay at and then offers a pile of coin for you to go kill this moose and bring it back. And if she wants the moose killed, that is one thing. Like I was very clear. She wanted the moose killed and she wanted you to bring back the carcass. Yep. She'd offer you even more money if you brought back the carcass. Yeah, it it was definitely an interesting, and and this was one of those scenarios where I felt like very similar to the moose, the party got on different sides because Rika, and and, and unfortunately I feel like we did step on her a little bit in this particular uh, scenario because it was her mentor, right? And, And we did let her do some speaking and Rika was very firmly in the camp of, I need to understand, before she judged it, she really wanted to understand about her sister and why her sister got targeted by the town, you know, before she was convinced that her her mentor was around the bend. There was a ton of debate at this point. And I think where we struggled in this particular discussion was 
I don't think it was really clear for all of us who was speaking in character and who was speaking maybe out of character. Rika is trying to re reason with Revison. My character is taking a more aggressive tone, but is trying to make her, he's trying to use this kind of logic, like, I hear what you're saying, but by your same logic, I should just slaughter you out of hand, but it's not my position to pick, but it was difficult because we were talking over each other at this point. So I never really kind of slipped that part in, but I mean, I, in my head, I can see Revison just going, okay, that one's talking about killing me. This one's my apprentice and she doesn't agree with me. That dude's being aggressive and I don't know what the hell he's saying because his point gets drowned out by the other person going, we should just kill her. And, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I could just see this. And the GM gives this wonderful, I would call it warning shot where she starts to summon her energy and this, like the temperature drops like 10, 20 yeah. degrees in the room in just an instant just a few seconds and so she's prepping something big and that probably should have been a warning sign for the party but diplomacy isn't our strong suit yeah. <laughs> so we were uh definitely we, we well and i mean we we did try to reason with her in a couple different ways and it may just be that she was too far gone and the the, the death of her sister was i mean she's yeah drove around she may then. just be that was kind of where i went possible to reason with this point and i recognize that rika was really trying to say hey let me look into this let me see if i can find a way to make things right but it really just seemed like hey no you know what all the 10 towns like you need to leave or die so but and i i, I mean i kind of realized at some point that i wasn't getting through <laughs> either a little i was a little aggressive but i was trying to make her see i'm like you know if the temperature rises the people will just yeah. come back you know, like, this isn't a viable solution, but she's definitely gone <laughs> around the bend. But at this point, the party's talking very openly about killing her. <laughs> the party's talking openly about her being nuts and too far gone. And then, and then the rogue got impatient and prepped his bow and just let it, let an arrow fly. And I'm pretty yeah, sure he missed us. completely. Yeah, missed with cover, yeah. uh, due to the yeah. cover. Yeah, cover and missed her. But unfortunately, we, we kind of knew this coming into the combat because we'd already rolled initiative, but we kind of knew he was first in the initiative order and then Revison and then everybody mm. else. I think the highest initiative after Revison was Yeah, we seven, rolled really. I, I rolled a one. Seven, it was two, like five, one, two, five, perfect. seven or something. Yep. Yeah, something really, really low. Everybody just rolled comedically bad on that initiative and it kind of makes sense thematically because we're spent so much time arguing and debating and keep in but, mind at uh, this point with our terrible initiative we are essentially all just sort of clustered up in the doorway in the hall maybe 10 foot wide hall they lined up all nicely i think you were so busy yeah. arguing with each other that you weren't trying to think about it from a, a tactical perspective of what you should be doing with the board and i think there was it was an interesting point and i i've got to do some things like i recognize a couple of things one as the dungeon master i did something that was probably a little mean to a player character and what i mean by that is without tons of warning like i had shared with robin the picture of Ravison. So hopefully, you know, getting the idea that you're you're tied to this character in the story 
that looks creepy and not mm. not like a good guy might lead that you're going to have an encounter down the road that's going to be kind of a bad guy-ish encounter with this character. But I never really let on that, yeah, at some point you're going to be put up, you know, this character is a villain, and, and are you okay with that? Which, you know, how much of that do you tell a character, a player, before you start the game or before a session so that they can be prepared for it? versus how much do you let it drop in the moment. And so I think that may have skewed things just a touch and something that I probably could have done better from a Dungeon Master perspective. The other piece of this was that this whole series of two sessions, I've watched things kind of slowly decline because it's been rush, rush. The players have kind of had this rush, rush, rush through it we're kind of invincible at kind of mentality, right? Yeah. And even when you got to this temple area, it felt like, and I think about it, there's a number of people that are playing in this group that do true dungeon. And it felt like a very true dungeon approach. Okay. We're in a new room or a new area. Let's briefly check out everything and see if there's any clues. And then, Oh, wait, there's a combat. We focus on the combat. Didn't, and, and even to this point, there were a number of pretty significant and easy, easily found clues that were missed just like for the mirror, for perspective, the some of the things with the, the moon symbols themselves that I think a, a little more cautious exploration because there's the three pillars of Dungeons and Dragons. There's the, the role play pillar, there's the exploration pillar, and then there's the combat pillar. And I think everybody was in such a rush. There was a group of players in this group that were such a rush to get to the combat. They skipped the the exploration entirely, almost to the point that it was a nuisance for them. And the same thing with the role play piece. It became, we just want to get to the combats. We want to do the cool things our characters have done. And, oh yeah, by the way, we just leveled up. So it was kind of this... Like, hey, we just leveled up and we did this mis- this mission that's a little bit heavier heavier on the exploration and roleplay. And what is what do people who want who just leveled up like any any all of you? What do you want to do? You just leveled up. You know, I think you, Justin, you highlight you talked about just a little bit at the beginning of the ep- the episode. You yeah, want to exactly. use your cool new stuff, use these cool new powers I have. Yeah, and it kind of. There never was an opportunity that you got to use. Well, there might have been. So we, we, it's the room just dropped 20, 10, 20 degrees. <laughs> but well, yeah, and and to your point, I mean, the the like all the casters now are level three, which means they all have a level yeah. two spell or some sort of spells. There, both Koth and I, I'm sure, have new combat abilities that we you know we could potentially whip out. It was it was interesting because, like you said, I, I think there was probably not enough caution used in different areas. But basically, at this point, the rogue has fired, and 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 I'm reading into this. It might not be the right spell. I'm not the best at the mage spells at this point, but I'm fairly convinced an ice storm drops on the party again. Just like with the undead creature that yelled at the party it was just some awful rolls i mean a lot of the party just had terrible terrible yeah. rolls for saving throws i think at least half the party ended up getting less than a 10 which is never gonna end yeah. well 
Yeah, so. and it, it uh, whatever spell it was, again, drops a good chunk of the party. Not to zero, but a significant amount of damage. I mean, well, no, I what was it? Was it 28 damage, actually? Maybe? Yeah, no. Yeah. So pretty much dropped. It dropped. That, that's it like, a pile I have of a, damage. I'm pretty sure Koth has the most hit points, and he has 28 hit points. It dropped <laughs> me completely. I did. I went from full to empty in one round. Now, admittedly, I failed my yeah. save. So, yeah. but I'm I'm pretty sure like 50 percent of the party failed their save and just dropped immediately. So you know, part of this is definitely a combination of some bad positioning, bad planning, and there again the bad luck. Like you said, these 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 terrible save rolls. So but, there was definitely luck involved, and it was just a perfect. A perfect ice storm of of a bad situation. <laughs> so here's yeah. the beauty, nice one, by the way. Here's the beauty of this whole thing is that what I thought was great about our first like three or four sessions, right up until you had the big Cephic fight, was that you had like this villain you were chasing, and you kind of built up to a big villain fight, right? Yeah. And I hadn't necessarily thought through like i knew i wanted to make ravison a little bit more of an important encounter and and character but now she's been turned into a larger villain and i've got some really cool ways that i will now be able to maybe incorporate her and a potential redemption arc for her that i think will be really rewarding and narratively so it sucks that we had maybe you know this session hasn't ended but you have this this encounter and you've had these series of like bad things happen to the player group. And it's been almost two sessions now in a row where there's been some pretty significant negative fallout from a comp from a combat situation here. Hey, we got all these powers and we suck now, (laughs) you know, kind of feel. Yeah. Now we have a new, new big villain that everybody, everybody has mixed feelings about and how to deal with. And I think I've got some great ideas. I think that I'm going to use, do with Ravison to really help build this character into something that's going to be really cool and really worthwhile for everyone involved. Well, and I think the thing that was really interesting, so compared to what I felt like was a little bit more controversial with the Moose and the Dire Wolves, it was pretty universal, I felt like, with Ravison. Somebody was like, just shut the damn door, and they shut the door immediately, and everybody's like, we've got to go. So we kind of picked people up. We were very convinced. We're like, no, we, she drops another ice, like another spell like that. We are done, and the whole party's dead. So yeah, we we agreed to retreat definitely at that point. Yeah, that, there was pretty universal <laughs> there. So ran away, found a um, another tree in a totally different direction. There was not a lot of debate on this one which direction to go. I think we just picked one. It didn't matter. That, uh, um, didn't we then... actually go all the way back to? to town at this point we took another short oh, okay, rest yep. i think we found gotcha. a place yep. to take another short rest because we've learned our lesson <laughs> at this point a short rest because we, we still had all our spells like nobody got to cast yeah. anything it, we just took a boatload of damage but took that opportunity to really go back to town we got an opportunity to talk to dimsy and really did admit to putting vernus to death trying to attempt to put vernus to death and what was interesting, and this was the counterpoint I think, Ben, you were getting at before, is the first time we met Nimsy, it was this kind of friendly, bubbly, you know, speaker, and on a dime, she she shifted. 
And she, I, I felt like she shifted to this no nonsense, all business, harder than nails. Yep. She did bad stuff. We killed them. And it was like this flip 180 from the perspective of like these, all these little kids running around. And she just like got this edge to her all of a sudden. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a different side of Nimsy we haven't seen. It was kind of that way. And I role played her a little bit that way. With the whole, like, I need you to bring the carcass back, right? Yeah. I didn't, and it wasn't, like, completely, like, like, she didn't care about the moose living or dying. She she wanted the carcass. She wanted to feed bring people. it back. I don't care if it talks. We're going to feed people with yeah. it. <laughs> Tastes good. Yeah. But it was interesting, though. I felt like, not that she was necessarily evil, but there was this no-nonsense business side of her. That she was like, Vernus did something, you know, she tried to charm uh, people. Yeah. We don't agree with that. We killed them because charming people is not permitted here. And so it it was an interesting, different side of her that I thought we had an opportunity. The party rested overnight and before setting out first thing in the morning. We were trying to track the moose again at that point with the hope uh, Rika kind of came up with a plan of a way that we could potentially maybe even free the moose from Revisance control. She had a couple spells lined up yeah. that she thought would be at least give her a shot to. I think she wanted to increase the wisdom of the moose and kind of talk it out of out of following Revisin, I believe was the plan. Is that right? Yeah, that yeah. was her thought yeah. process. And then Love I it. mean, yeah. she was I felt like she at least gave us that opportunity and she was like, okay, this is what I want to try. But if this doesn't work, we can kill yep. the moose. So she she wanted to take a shot at freeing it, which I thought was great in yeah. character thing. There is this assumption still that the moose and the other creatures that are speaking that have been made to speak mm-hmm. are under some control. Mm. Yes, I don't know if that's true or not. Okay, maybe I do because I'm the DM and I've read the adventure module. I find it very interesting that we're still like. Oh, there's hope for it. There's hope that they're just controlled and I can free them. Not that these are somehow magically enchanted, intelligent creatures. Like that, like that fact that like that that thought process, it speaks. It has a high enough intelligence now to speak. What kind of magics maybe did that, as well as how much of it is its own thought right. and its own thought process, right? So it's it's a very curious kind of approach to it. And I don't know if it's been, oh, hey, it's an animal and I just want to, you know, I, I, you know, I'm kind of blinders on. Or if it's, uh, or if it's, uh, hey, I'm, I, you know, if there's a real belief that there is. And it's a really cool thought process. I really thought, I really thought it was very unique and very interesting way to approach that, approach it with these creatures. And we'll have to see what happens. Well, we did not, should we did not get should should that plan get to <laughs> yeah. be able to be enacted? I just like it, for, and and I will admit I I do like and, and enjoy combat, but I really like it when a character gets an opportunity to do something that's completely in character for them in an opportunity like this with the druid who is very hey this creature is not necessarily irredeemable and I think I could do something here. So I'm like, hey, I'll give you a shot. Sounds great. So, yeah, and I think I, I think generally the party was was willing to give her that shot too, and say, hey, Leo, we'll, we'll try that first. 
but <laughs> I think that was the most we'd agreed all session. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, though, we tracking it across the tundra and pretty much just couldn't keep up with the trail. And we actually haven't lost the trail yet. We haven't lost the trail. Yet. We got a little sidetracked. We, 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 right, nope, great. you have not lost the trail. But we did have an opportunity. I mean, we we were tracking them, and then we got surrounded by wolves. And the party was originally very concerned that these were the dire wolves or more. But they were just regular wolves. It wouldn't surprise me if Revison had sicked them on us, or it could have just been a random encounter that just fit in really well. You know, we got we dealt with that pretty quickly. You know, the party just kind of went right through that by scaring the wolves off and not having combat. I'll point out. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> the bloodlust was not slaked that day. Yeah. Slated. <laughs> Nobody got to really uh, deal with right. their cool new stuff. But then, uh, you know, we're still tracking. We're trying to keep up with them. We have no idea how far behind we are. And then the ground starts to shake. And suddenly this huge dragon comes out from underneath the the ice. and admittedly there was a lot of people that i think were like oh god not again <laughs> but it was it was a very very well done encounter the i think the party was just like okay this is like the third or fourth combat in a row where something's just going to drop most of the party but then we were good we didn't engage right away but it was just a really cool encounter um the this this ice dragon comes out of the ground and it becomes very apparent very quickly that the dragon is senile or is just waking up and doesn't really know what all's going on. And it is, it has this rider. I mean, understand it came out of the ground and, you know, underneath the permafrost and it has a rider in a saddle. Well, it has what's left of the rider in the saddle. And he's like, he's just sleeping. Okay. But it was just, it was just interesting because we're like the whole party just kind of looks at each other like nobody's going to say anything to this dragon that will indicate that the writer is not alive. I just remember how thrilled. I mean, understand Rika is such a unique personality, and she was so thrilled that she got to climb on a dragon. <laughs> that was like her, her whole day because suddenly she's like, I'll climb up and put your rider back up straight. So she yeah. she gets she climbs up the dragon and just happy as can be as she's climbing up this dragon and the whole party's like, oh, for the love of God, don't breathe on us. Don't breathe on us. But uh, yeah, she got up and sort of tied up the rider and put him straight or what was left of them. Could have been a woman. Don't want to make assumptions there, but... Uh, it, it was a male so, figure, but, yes. Then the dragon kind of takes off, but uh, it, it was it was interesting. It was a very very interesting encounter. It set some things up for potentially later in the campaign, and I wanted to like you guys. This is the first time you have traveled overland, and so I was thinking like, okay, it's relatively close to session end. There's been a lot of friction at the table. And I've alluded to it a couple of times. I feel like there's a lot of friction at the table. And I don't know if going into another full-blown combat would have been a good idea, not only for time, but just with some of the friction that was happening. So I thought, like, okay, what what do I have in my book? What does the module give me for overland encounters? 
that I can throw at the players that should be an obvious, oh my god, don't attack this thing, but also a cool, like, something that'll highlight or potentially tie into some things further on in the adventure. Because this senile, ancient white dragon certainly should be a reoccurring character, right? I mean, I think that's I think that would be a very interesting thing for the players to interact with down the road, yeah. right? And whether you maybe befriend it or somehow find maybe its treasure hoard or whatever the case might be, I think there's some opportunity or even just seeing it over the over the sky as you fly. But I also needed to like we started session 1 I dropped that like traveling over land is highly dangerous and oh. terrifying, right? Because here you had, you know, you, as you're leaving Brinchander to go find, go encounter Torgs and see if you can uh, encounter this suspected serial killer, you're encountering those dwarves who had just been attacked by Tundra Yeti yep. and pretty well butchered. Uh, and beat up and wounded. And so I wanted to make sure that you had, like, a, you know, this is your first time doing it. I want to make sure that, hey, there is a, oh my goodness, a moment like, ooh, maybe we should stick to the roads kind of moment here, right? And so there was there was a lot of that, but it was also like a cool, cool way to portray and, and give you a, give everybody a cool, I, I wanted to, like, okay, and let's, let's end this session on like a really cool moment. Yeah versus everything else that went on at that point. So hopefully that's that's kind of what happened, and I'm looking forward to what happens next. Yeah. It was a cool end cap to the session. Yeah. The, uh, the last thing I wrote in my notes was, Dragon does not eat us. So it was a positive. It ended on a positive. I, I just like the it is a, is a good capstone for the day. So Justin, what do you think of the, even though there was a bit of conflict, I think, just frustration in general for some people, but of these two sessions, what do you feel were the standouts for you from a role-playing perspective? Sure. Uh, I mean, just to touch on that a little, some of that conflict, even though it was like, you know, some tension between players was driven by probably in character thinking. So that's still role-playing, you know, like I'm doing this cause that's what my character would do. So that's good. I, Two things that kind of stood out for me this session. We are learning a little bit more about Lindell, who's starting to adopt the brashness and bravado of a of a true swashbuckler. You know, still trying to kick indoors and taking shots, and a more of a, a cockier rogue than a you know a sneaky thief. I think he's becoming. Yeah, that was that was an interesting transformation from my perspective because he had been more sneaky sneak. Yeah. And this time he went more in the, I'm going to get in there and do stuff, which was interesting yeah. to see that sort of shift in his personality. Yeah. I think that's really largely when he took the mm -hmm. swashbuckler, right? I think he had this vision of being a different mm -hmm. style of rogue. And then when he, when he got to that level three, started to realize that, Oh, I probably not the best way to go to like down the arcane trickster path which I think he originally thought, which would have led more to the way he was playing and started to adopt and, and more more well adopt this this persona as a swashbuckler. And and it's yeah. really starting to yeah. come out, yeah. which is really enjoyable. 
Uh, the other one for me, I thought uh, Rika did have some really cool dialogue moments when she was trying to reason and even plead with Revisen. And she's saying, let me let me go talk to the people in Lonelywood and find out what happened with your sister. And and she's trying to reason with this woman who, that from all we can tell, has gone insane or at least just unreasonably angry and hateful at the world at this point. So I, I thought she did have some, some good dialogue moments in that encounter. I would agree with that. Those would probably be my two as well. I mean, not that I, I didn't really enjoy, Ben, you playing the ancient dragon. That was a lot of fun for me, too. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll give credit on the voice of that elf, too. The undead elf was, was well played. Uh, raspy, difficult, undead voice. That was nice. Yeah, I haven't done enough voices, I feel like, in this. But I'm I'm really worried about losing consistency in character voice particularly for reoccurring characters. So I've tried to avoid it for anything that has a chance of being reoccurring. But for the undead things, it's so easy to go for me to throw into that like creepy, spooky voice. Even though he was actually quite pleasant for an undead, it was definitely creepy uh, undead voice. Yeah. What did you guys feel like from a learning perspective? Anything in particular? So, yeah, like, like with most sessions and gaming i always start the sessions with some tip or hint and now for this latest session it was actually just gifts and be aware of everybody everybody else having you know trying to make you know trying to come to the table and have a good time but be aware and then that that way you can try to help enable everybody else from having a good time i think we had a little work to do there but we'll get there but the real tip that i wanted to point out for today's episode was about dice mechanics and one of the first things i do as the dm before i as i'm setting myself up for the session is that i take a number of sets of complete sets of dice and line them up from highest to lowest so that they're very easily i can very easily oh i need 3d6 well i just grab them from the 3d6 row or i need i'm rolling with advantage grab 2d20s and as soon as I'm done with the roll and I've calculated whatever I need to, I put the dice back in their respective spots. And for me, who has to roll quite a few dice, quite often that makes speeds up the dice mechanics just behind the screen. So that was one of the things I suggested the players do, and I don't know how many of you have adopted it, but hopefully some of you are, are trying it and finding finding some success. I've I've watched players over the you know over the sessions, you know, seven sessions now. And a lot of times your dice are in pools or little piles and you're trying to find the right dice for the, uh, which one's a D10 or is this a D10 or is this a D10? You know, they're holding up a D8 or whatever. You know, by doing that, it's so easy to recognize. Okay, bing, 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 20, 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, right? Bing, bing, bing. The other thing with that dice mechanics tip is to, when possible, roll your damage dice at the same time you're rolling your attack dice. So if you're rolling your advantage, you grab your 2d20 and, oh, hey, I'm rolling 2d6 damage. Add the 2d6 in your hand and roll them all at the same time. You can always go grab more dice after the initial dice roll, but rolling rolling them all at the same time, now you don't have to, you don't get in that same thing where, oh, hey, now i got to find in my pool of dice where the d6 are so I can get my weapon damage. Nope, I already prepped it. I had it. I'm ready ahead of time. I know what my action's going to be, and I'm swinging my hammer at the goblin, and I'm going to roll. DM said roll with advantage, so I just need to grab an extra d20, and boom, there I go. Right? 
It's it's done. It's simple. It, it speeds things up. And with six players at the table, anything, little things like that where you shave a few seconds off, particularly in combat, the more smoothly things end up seeming to go once you get into those combat situations. So that's that was the tip that I led off with, and I know I rambled for a little bit on the tip, but hopefully that's something that people can use to really help themselves become more efficient when they're playing Dungeons and Dragons or any role-playing game. How about you, Justin? Yeah. So some, some learning points, I think that we, you know, some lessons we need to learn maybe still with the combat with uh, Revisit, I think our combat positioning really is what did us in there again, being bunched up in a group in a little hallway. And yeah, sometimes you can't avoid being in a little hallway, but in this case, we had ample time to get into the room and be in smarter positions. So <laughs> that's something we need to work on somewhat just to avoid that. Like, hey, everybody could all get hit by one big blast right here. So maybe we shouldn't stand that way. I think in this case, our positioning like that was partly due to ambiguity in this encounter. If if combat was even imminent, Revision started out by talking to us and didn't really make any aggressive actions until we attacked or maybe just before we attacked i guess so i think we weren't really sure as a party if we were going to fight her i mean we knew she was rika's mentor and are we just going to straight up attack her wasn't super clear so we weren't thinking about putting ourselves in the right positions to fight even though maybe we should have done it regardless so maybe we could have positioned ourselves strategically but sort of in a non-threatening matter and just spread out in the room a little and done it in a threatening way maybe so uh, you know something we can learn and work on yeah kind of leading off of that and you make some really good points as far as when it comes from a player's perspective and how you can how you can approach things and and i think we've talked about that even in uh uh, during session about party positioning, even when you're doing overland travel. Yeah, you guys have tended to clump yourselves up in a nice little two-by-two, three-deep formation, and that's the way you walk pretty much everywhere if you can. And, you know, there are there are potentially some advantages if you're swarmed by a number of of weaker enemies with that type of formation. You know, everybody's at their backs and whatnot, and, and the softer characters are more protected. But at the same time some of the most damaging tricks for dealing with large player player groups when you have combats that go two to three rounds at the tops is to do large area effect type things. So that plays into my ability to do AOEs against you. So definitely something that, you know, I think you guys will need to decision, you know, make some decisions and think about a little bit as you move forward. But the other thing that kind of comes out of that too and this is a DM tip for you people out there that are dungeon masters and, and a, one I was not expecting to actually give. But, and this is not my own idea, but your NPCs should not always be the ones initiating combat. Sure, zombies, brains, ah, kill, kill, right? That's very straightforward. It's, I think everybody's... It's pretty obvious at that point. But when you have humanoid thinkers and even a stronger spellcaster like what we had, there's six people, six adventurers, six well-armed adventurers that are just figured out how to open up the door to your lair. How is that NPC going to react? Even if they're a little mentally unstable, are they going to be the one that initiates combat? 
especially if they see like someone that they mentored, you know, that you get that those types of things, when you put yourself in the role of the NPC and you start to think, how are they going to behave? I think that makes ultimately for a more realistic gaming experience, sometimes maybe a little frustrating for your players when they can't decide, well, should we kill or should we not? But it makes for, it makes for more challenging situations. And that's all, all that you can do when you put, put, uh, put things in front of the players is try to give them something that will challenge them and hope that they, they come up with some good ideas. Yeah. I think, I think my takeaway from, from this was that we as a group really need to, and I've seen this done in some groups, have a way for people to indicate whether they're speaking in character or out of character because we were knee deep in the middle of people trying to talk with Revison and I felt like I was getting mentally confused whether somebody was talking in character or out of character and I was kind of staying in character but then some people like it's like are they really having an open conversation if we should just kill her <laughs> or was this an out yeah. of character observation that this person's just gone around the bend and has flown the cuckoo's nest. And I, and I think it's good as a party to work that out as a group when you're like, Hey, I need a quick timeout. Let's just talk out of character. I, I mean, it's not always appropriate when you're in the middle of a combat, you, you don't necessarily want to give the party the time to like debate for 20 minutes between each person's move. But you know, we hadn't really entered combat and it was very, I thought it led to some of our interesting challenges because we as a group, I couldn't tell who was in character and who wasn't at that point. So, you know, just something to think about as a group, you know, maybe reach an agreement on how you want to be in character and out of character. Some groups are very adamant. You're always in character. Other groups, uh, there's some flexibility. There's definitely flexibility at our table. There's a lot of people that just like to joke around as well and have a good time. So. That was one of my sort of takeaways from the last two sessions. I think that's going to uh, wrap it up for us for, for this episode. Absolutely. So we'll be back in the new year. We will be uh, see if we are able to continue and chase Revison down, or maybe if we decide that we should take it a little bit easier when we're chasing that particular beast down. So We may just need to go clean out some kobolds. Who knows? From a mine. <laughs> Give people an opportunity to flex those muscles a little. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't possibly give you an an ethical conundrum when fighting <laughs> kobolds. I mean, that's. I mean, I, I I think you guys have had a lot of opportunities for good, clear encounters and whatnot. But I think almost every encounter to date has been something where you could resolve it any number of ways, and it's really on the players to make decisions in rhyme of the frost maiden as far as well are we going to be are we going to go through and kill everything or are we going to try to talk our way through things or how we want to deal with it i think it's 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 a really unique aspect of this campaign and and typically especially at this level where it's very open-ended you have any number of reasons and motivations for the way things are when you encounter them which is very cool all right, folks. Well, thanks for listening, and we will sign off for now. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. 
If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Ah, oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out. <laughs>